I just ask that you would teach us to trust you. Thank you that you are worth the wait. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, and welcome to Emmanuel Anglican. We're, we're in the last week of Advent, and so uh, we're in our last sermon in our series on the four theological virtues that Advent points to. We began uh, talking about the virtue of hope, and to learn about hope, we turn to 1 Peter, and then we wanted to learn about peace, and to learn about peace in the second week of Advent, we turned to Romans so that we could learn about peace from St. Paul. Last week, we looked at James and sought his wisdom on what it means uh, to have joy. And then finally, we're ending our series in the four theological virtues of Advent with uh, John, the beloved disciple. St. John is going to teach us about love. So I, you can turn to First John in your bulletins or Bibles. Um, here's a, an interesting thing that St. John does in his teaching on love. He intertwines uh, his teaching about the love of God with, with exhortation to love as God loves. He intertwines those things, and so we're going to intertwine them in our teaching as well because he sets the tone for us. Um, knowing about God's love, knowing God's love, and practicing God's love um, are two sides of the same coin. Uh, they're two strands of the same cord. And uh, for us Westerns, we tend to separate these two things, what we know about and what we practice, this really, St. John really wants to apprentice us in love as he was apprenticed under Jesus in love. So that's what we're going to do today. Do today is to, uh, to, to learn what it means to be apprentices of Jesus in the school of love as we wait for him to come uh, on Christmas. I think, uh, you know, we've talked in different teachings about our unfulfilled longings for perfect love. I think there's another side to that, and that is that many of us have high aspirations to love other people, and we find ourselves falling short of those aspirations, do we not? How Are you able to love your children as much as you want to love your children? Are you able to love your roommate as much as you want to love your roommate? When you think about you know, the commands in Scripture, or even the, the desire of your own heart to love your neighbor... Are you, are you able to live up to those hopes and expectations? Are you able to love your spouse, your friends, your coworkers? Are you really able to put their needs above your own? And even when you try, even when you have good intentions and you've been well caffeinated, like how long does that last? How much can you really love other people? When other people sin against you or frustrate you, how capable are you of forgiving them out of love? I think for a lot of us, when we read... First John, and we read about, hey, love your brother, love your sister. We're like, yeah, I, I, I really have a hard time with that. And so, you know, what we do is we try. We try to forgive. We try to be patient. We try to not be irritable. And, and our trying doesn't work. So we fall short. So, you know, uh, it's one thing to, to want more love. It's another thing to want to be more loving. And I think many of us want to be more loving than we actually are. <clears throat> when we read 1 John, when it says, 
there's no fear in love. For perfect love casts out fear. And we're like, oh, that sounds so beautiful. You know, what would it be like to not be a fear-driven person, but to be so full of love that all fear is just kind of displaced? Wow, wouldn't that be an amazing life of love? Kind of a Mother Teresa type life of love. Where self-interest, in some ways, is completely displaced, fear is displaced, and we can actually love and forgive as we really want to. How can God's love be perfected in us? Can you imagine that happening in your own life? Can you imagine what it would be like to love the people in your life perfectly, or at least more fully? Can you imagine a maturity of God's love growing beyond you, into your coworkers, your fellow classmates, your roommates, your family, your kids, just a more loving person, a less afraid person? Um, can you imagine what it would be like for a whole congregation of people for, for love to be matured and, and completed and perfected and just driving out fear, how capable would we be of loving our city and loving our neighborhood? Um, where there's just no room for fear to operate among us. So um, this morning we're going to heed clearly. We're going to hear clearly the call of St. John, the beloved disciple, to let God's love become complete and perfected in us. And today we're going to talk about three stages of growth in the love of God. Three stages of growth in the love of God. It's progression that John taught about, even though he didn't use that language. These stages are embedded in his teaching, not only in, not only in the, uh, these epistles, but also in the gospel that he wrote. And it's also evident in the life that he lived, in the life that his fellow apostles lived, and the way the early church operated. The church fathers taught about these stages, even though they used different language to describe them. It's a journey that all of us are called to take if we're going to follow Jesus. It's a journey that all of us need to become apprentices in if we are going to follow Jesus and let the love of God become mature in us. So uh, let's look at the first stage of love, and it's what I call the infancy of love. The infancy of love. Verse 7 of 1 John 4, reading, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Friends, we are born of God. When we are born of God, we are beloved by God. John starts out his exhortation here calling us who we are. If we are in Christ, we are beloved. Beloved. Beloved people who are born of God, born into God's family. This is the beginning, this is the absolute foundation of walking in the love of God. It is when we are born into the family of God. Um, we get a small glimpse of this stage of love, this infancy in love, when we observe a, a baby with two loving parents. Um, when, when the baby's uh, mom or dad just is holding them and, and being gentle with them and, and speaking words of love into them and meeting their needs. Um, this is what happens uh, when, you know, all the baby does is just soak in the love of their parent. They're just born loved. It's a, it's a status that cannot be taken away from them. Um, 
The parents hold their baby. The parents love their baby. The parents feed their baby. The parents make great sacrifices for this little baby. Not because of anything the baby does, uh, but because of who the baby is. The baby is beloved. And this is how we enter the kingdom of God. We, we, enter, as, we enter as infants. We enter as helpless children. We enter completely in need. We enter... Um, As a child, and Romans 5.5 tells us that the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still helpless. Um, We did nothing to earn that kind of love. And so we receive that love as helpless children, as helpless infants. Um, And we're not condemned because of it. We're justified by His grace through faith, and there's, there's no wrath for us in the presence of God when we receive that gift. When you are born of God, you receive all the love that you need, and then some. You receive all the compassion and grace and patience you need, and then some. Um, you can be messy and reckless and, and, um, and helpless. You can be a complete mess on the outside and a complete mess on the inside. And you are completely covered with the love of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. The Trinitarian family, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit surround you and sing over you and include you and cover you and complete you from first to last. You are beloved. And that's why John addresses us as beloved and reminds us that those who love are born of God. This is an intimate metaphor. Being born is an intimate metaphor. It is not um, being taught at first. It is not um, being forced to do anything. It is being born. When we are born, we are held close by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when we are helpless and when we are in need. The infancy of love. This is the first stage of our growth into the love of God. It's the stage that Satan tries to attack. The enemy of your souls wants to convince you that you really aren't loved unless you earn it. And the Father's love for you isn't real, isn't perfect, isn't complete. You need something extra to complete the package. Um, Sometimes we ourselves can convince ourselves that we are not worthy of this type of love. We've messed up too much. We've fallen too far. There's no way that God... Sorry about that. But it's a little louder, isn't it? Um, um, we think, you know, there's no way, if we've, if we've passed this stage, we can't go back. And the truth is that we have to go back again and again. We have to go back every day. We have to go back every hour, every minute. We have to remember that we're beloved. We have to remember that we're born of God. And we have to remember that we came into the kingdom of God helpless. We came into the kingdom of God in need. Think of a, a child going to an imperfect parent who, who did love the child. And, and the child going, I'm so sorry that I haven't been able to please you well. I, I, I can do extra things to earn my way back. You know, a loving parent would say, you don't earn your way back to me. I love you. Just come to me. Just, just, just let's just be close together. And this is, the, this is not only the first stage, this is the, the stage that we never outgrow. And some of us actually think we can outgrow this stage. We can't outgrow this stage. 
Some of us, because this is a vulnerable, messy stage, we want to skip this stage. We want to take a shortcut around this stage. If you want to take a shortcut around this stage, it's actually a dead end. You will never grow into the fullness of God's love unless you are helpless in God's love. The infancy of the love of God. We can never outgrow it. We can never skip it. That's the first stage of God's love. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. It's going to be impossible to love your neighbor unless you know God like a child knows its loving parent. So we always have to return to it. We always have to say yes to Christ's offer to take away our sins, our failures, our weaknesses, and restore us as God's son or daughter. Some of us need to return to this stage afresh, and it really is time. We've been praying that the year 2016 would be a year where we ask the Lord for new wine. Um, And we ask the Lord, uh, uh, in one sense, that he gives us the new wine of just appreciating and uh, basking in and abiding in his love for us yet again. So I think that we're going to have some praise and worship nights, some nights of prayer and some fasting where we return to the love of God, we return to our infancy, and we receive our status afresh as His beloved children. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's the first stage. It's the infancy of love. The second stage is the maturity of love. The maturity of love. Verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, So God's love was made visible and manifest and tangible among us. How? Verse 9, second part of verse 9, that God sent his only son into the world. And we're reminded here of John's, uh, uh, his gospel. The first chapter of his gospel, um, John 1, where, uh, where he teaches us that Jesus Christ was the word made flesh, who not only was born among us, but lived among us. He pitched his tent here, And he modeled an example of God's love. Jesus Jesus Christ's life was a fully present example of what God's love looks like in human form. As he grew up into manhood and to his commissioned ministry, he was patient and he was kind. And he did not keep a record of wrongs and he was not boastful. Jesus Christ touched people who were dying of diseases. He touched people that if you touched them, you could get the disease. But he did so out of love. Jesus Christ lived in solidarity with the outcasts, with people that no one else wanted to talk to or include. Jesus Christ washed the smelly feet of his disciples, and one of them would later betray him. Jesus Christ stayed up late and got up early to intercede for people, just to pray for them. This is the maturity of love. It's the example of love. The love of God was made manifest among us, St. John says, when God sent his only son into the world. But then look at the third part of verse, um, uh, sorry, verse 9, so that we might live through him. So he was made visible among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. When we live through Christ, 
we are united with him. We're we are united with Christ and therefore we are able to live through him and he lives through us. His spirit is in us and gives us the power we need to love as he loves. If we have been born into a family of love, it's natural for the family trait to begin to express itself naturally through our life. It's natural for us to grow into the maturity of love, to begin to practice loving our fellow family members and our neighbors. Um, The church fathers, when they read this passage, they connected this passage with St. Paul's command to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This maturity of love, this is the stage that Thomas Akempis wrote about in his classic, The Imitation of Christ. Um, It's where God's love is made manifest to us in Christ, and then we begin to imitate it. We begin to practice it. I think it's time for some of us to step into this stage of love. Because some of us us are tempted to skip the infancy stage. But then others of us are tempted to never graduate and never move into the stage of maturity, the stage of imitation, the stage where we are actually practicing love. This is the stage where we begin to bear with and cover the imperfections of others instead of complaining about them. This is the stage where we listen with empathy and patience to someone who's in pain, someone who's experienced loss. This is the stage where at work we begin to, instead of just sort of covering ourselves and and doing the minimum, we actually look to meet the needs of our coworkers. This is the stage where on Sundays, we, we seek out a practical or interpersonal way to welcome someone who doesn't know anyone yet. This is the stage that Mother Teresa describes as doing small things with great love. It's the daily practice of putting the needs of others ahead of yourself. If you have arranged your life in such a way that you never have to do that, um, you will remain stunted in your growth in the love of God. Healthy community is a school of love, not a perfect one. None of us love perfectly, but it's a school of love to be connected to a local church, to be connected with a small group, a serving community, because it will teach you how, and it will give you the urgency to Put the needs of others ahead of yourself. Marriage is a school of love. Having children is a school of love. It's a daily gymnasium where you learn the uncomfortable practice of putting the needs of others ahead of yourself. So if your only reason for not entering into church community in a meaningful way, or entering into a marriage, or having children is that you can't be bothered, that's the wrong reason. And you will remain stunted in your growth in the love of God. This is an invitation for you to take the next step so that God's love becomes more full, more rich, more complete, more mature, displaces fear, and so that you learn the joy of seeing the love of God become more mature in you. If you read through, I was reading through 1 John this week, and it was so interesting to me that loving as God loved and knowing God's love was throughout the book. I think that John was writing to people who struggle with the same thing that you and I struggle with, which is compartmentalizing them, privatizing God's love, and then living how we want. 
John was uh, so convinced that his people needed to hear an admonition that throughout his letter, it was love as God loved. If you don't love, you don't know God. It's not a condemnation. It's a calling to return to and get back on track with the love of God in Christ. So the first stage is the infancy of love. Second stage is the maturity of love. And finally, the final stage is the finality of love. Verse 10. That's a great question. You know what love is, my friend? Love is when you look at your neighbor and you say, it is so good that you exist. It is so good that you exist that I'm willing to lay down my life for you. Let's read about that in verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice. In the ESV it says propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The finality of love. This is complete, perfect, self-giving love. Not just being born into this family. Not just being, sorry, it wasn't just Jesus Christ making a home here, pitching his tent here. It was him giving his life for us here. Why did Jesus bleed in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you ever think about that? Why was he in such anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jonathan Edwards posits that the reason that Jesus suffered in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane is that his father gave him a picture, just a glimpse of the hell that he was going to endure, of the wrath that he would drink on the cross. And Jesus was brought to a point where, where, where he, he, he was bleeding before that image. He tremored at what he would experience. He looked into the depths of hell and realized what he would experience. But he went through with it. And, and Edwards points us to the fact that how, this is a way that we can see the depths of the love of Christ. Because he saw what he would endure. And then he looked at you and he looked at me and he said, it's worth it. I love them so much, it's worth it. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to drink the cup. Because I love you and I love her and I love him. And so, he became an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The Father, what kind of love would cause the Father to give up his Son to infinite torture and death? This is love. It is so good that you exist. So good that I will give up my Son so that it will give up my life so that you can be made whole. The first and second stages might make sense on a human level. But this stage does not. The finality of love, death, confounds human wisdom. Yet it enchants the human heart. We want this kind of love. It moves us. It melts us. But we feel that it is impossible. It is impossible to love in this way. And yet the Holy Spirit makes, makes it possible because he unites us with Jesus Christ and gives us the power to love our neighbors, to love our family in this way. When St. John told his readers to love their brother or sister in the way that Jesus loved them, he knew that some of them 
would give up precious things. He knew that some of them would likely die. Some of them did. Many people who followed Jesus in the early church lost their lives. Many people in our world today who are following Jesus lose their lives. And are any of you moved by some of the testimonies of, of, of uh, some of the modern day martyrs that we read about who die with utter love? It's as if love has been made complete in them even as they are facing judgment, even as they are facing death. Can you imagine dying that kind of death? Not afraid anymore because God's love is made complete. We can't force this, but the Holy Spirit can give this to us as a gift. This is a miraculous stage. To die in this way, to die in complete love, overflowing with love, without fear. We can't force this stage, but it can be put into us. You know, one of the most moving parts of the story of Les Mis is when the bishop takes in Jean Valjean, who at the time is homeless and uh, destitute. He's on the run. The bishop gives him hospitality, and Jean Valjean is he's taking it in, and, and, and he sleeps over there. And then in the middle of the night, he steals the bishop's silver, and he runs away. And the, and the police find him and, and they drag him back to the bishop and said, we found, we found the criminal who stole all your silver. And the bishop said, but you forgot the silver candlesticks. And he sent Jean Valjean as a free man with all of his silver. Jean Valjean came against the bishop and took from him. And in utter self-giving Christ-like love, the bishop in this story, sends him away with even more silver than he stole. And then what do we see happen in Jean Valjean's life? Throughout his life, he, he carries on the same thing. He, you, can, you can see him giving this kind of love uh, to Fantine. It's Fantine, right? Cosette's mother? Rojo, you know the story of Les Mis. He stays by Fantine when, when she is destitute. He gives of his very life to help her. And then he, he devotes his life to raising her daughter, Cosette. And then he even is able to forgive his enemy, Javert. And Javert can't even take it because it burns so hot. We can't force self-giving love. But it can be put into us. And we will never be the same. Some of us might be called to die for another person out of complete love for them because we're so full and complete with the love of God through the Holy Spirit. But for many of us, it's going to be short of death. Many of us in Chicago, in the USA, it will be short of death. Not for all of our brothers and sisters, but for us it will probably be short of death. And you know what I think it will look like? I think it will look like forgiving an enemy. Forgiving someone who's hurt us and isn't sorry. Receiving God's love for them as we devote ourselves to pray for them. Or maybe it's grieving deep loss, but not being overcome by the fear of more loss. For some of us, it is willingly giving up position, willingly giving up money, willingly giving up livelihood, willingly giving up precious things for the sake of the other. That's what the finality of love might look like for you and I. Maybe we'll do this together as a congregation. We'll willingly give up Precious things. What are the precious things in a church? Well, it's the people. 
That's the most precious thing inside of a church, aside from the living Christ, who we will never lose. But can you imagine giving up three quarters of your friends to, to send them to plant a church somewhere? Can you imagine giving up precious things at Emmanuel for the, because God's love is becoming so complete that that's what he's calling you to do? But not being afraid, not being afraid, not being resentful, but being free. Can you imagine being free? Free to love like Jesus loved, who looked into the depths of, of torment and hell and said, I'm going down there because of love. Because of love. I want to read to you, as we end this Advent series, just our gospel reading from today. The kind of love we've been waiting for, the kind of love that we want in our own life and heart. Just end with this small window into the life of love from Luke 19. You can find this on page 4 and 5 of your programs. Love entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And love was seeking to see, or sorry, he was seeking to see who love was. But on, on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see love. For love was about to pass that way. And when love came to that place. Love looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for love must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received love joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, love has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to love, behold, love, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And love said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. Love has come, and it turns out it was worth the wait. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to stand as we confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.